0: And uh, we'll hear, hear from God's word. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that we can gather, just the privilege of gathering as your people, um, singing praise to you and hearing you speak through your word. And as we do uh, hear it read and preached now, we do pray that you'd soften our hearts, uh, give us ears to hear um, what you have for us today, and we pray that uh, you would transform us uh, through the truth of your word today powerfully for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Steph.
1: Unfortunately, I don't have to read it all. And Duncan said just some specific verses, so I'm starting to read from Isaiah 2, uh, from verse 6. The day of the Lord, you Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob, They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses, there is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols, they bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. the people will be brought low, and everyone humbled, do not forgive them. Go into the rocks, hide into the ground, from the fearful presence of the Lord, and the splendor of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled, The human pride will low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted and they will be humbled, for all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of fashion, for all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel. The arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The idols will totally disappear. People will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of His Majesty who rises to shake the earth. In that day, people will throw away to the moles and bats the idols of silver and idols of gold which they made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of His Majesty who rises to shake the earth. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but breath in their nostrils. I hold them in esteem. And then from Isaiah, uh, further from 2: In that land, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and a hiding place.
0: Well, thanks, Steph, for that. Uh, and we are enjoying some long readings from Isaiah, but really powerful, wonderful ones. Uh, it's great to see you all. Uh, isn't it good to be here together? Uh, so we're going to get into this amazing passage from Isaiah 2, jumping over to Isaiah 4 as well. Uh, but before we get there, uh, uh, you might have heard this, maybe you picked it up this year uh, in news uh, outlets, but back in 2015, the Microsoft founder, Bill Gates, uh, he gave a TED Talk. Um, has anyone heard this story? Bill Gates gave a TED Talk with the title, The Next Outbreak? Question mark We're not ready. <laughs> we're not ready. Uh, And he said this in this TED Talk. If anything kills over 10 million people in the next few decades, it's most likely to be a highly infectious virus rather than a war. Not missiles, but microbes. He said bluntly, we're not ready for the next epidemic. Well, fast forward five years from when um, Bill Gates gave that address, and I reckon he was pretty spot on. (laughs) It seems like... Uh, it turned, it's turned out to be spot on. I can only imagine how sort of urgent and important he felt this message to be five years ago when he, said, when he told it. Now, I can only imagine how frustrated he must be <laughs> this year as he's seen this come true. Well, friends, I reckon take that feeling that you can kind of imagine Bill Gates might be feeling this year, take that feeling and uh, notch it up about a million times and I reckon you might have something like the feeling that Isaiah is, is experiencing at this point in his in his book, in his prophecy. Uh, he's proclaiming this message to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And if you're here last week, or not here, here, but if you're online and watch the sermon, uh, and if you weren't, it might be helpful to do that because it's kind of an introduction to the whole series. Uh, but if you remember from last week... um, Isaiah's message is about God's great transformation plan. He has this great plan of transformation. And we ended last week with this beautiful vision that Isaiah paints of a new Jerusalem, a new temple that all the nations are streaming to. Uh, And we saw last week how that's fulfilled in Jesus. But as you get to this point uh, in verse 6 of chapter 2, do you notice there's this huge jolt? There's this huge jolt as you read on. That might be God's great plan for the future from Isaiah. But what he does here is he turns to the present reality as he looks out across Judah and Jerusalem. And it's totally different. It's not a people living in peace under God's word. It's the total opposite. And there's this big shock in verse 6. You, Lord, have abandoned your people. God has abandoned his people. Uh, but there's a reason why and the rest of this chapter fills out why. God has abandoned his people because they have abandoned him. They've abandoned him. They've embraced the false gods of the nations around them. Now It's a time of real prosperity uh, that Isaiah is preaching this and you see that in verse 7. Their land is full of silver and gold but while they're economically prosperous, this people are spiritually corrupt. They've abandoned God And this isn't just a flash in the pan either, like a one-off thing, over and over again throughout Israel's history. They have abandoned Yahweh, turning from him to the idols of the nations around them. And this whole section that we're looking at and reflecting on today is from Isaiah's standpoint, he's looking forward, he's looking ahead to a coming day, a day of the Lord. Uh, the Old Testament prophets spoke about this coming day of the Lord. When God would come and act in power, he would come and bring about his kingdom in a full, and new way. He would bring about his purposes on earth. And all through this section, maybe you noticed it uh, as uh, Steph read it out for us, all through this section there's this repeat of, in that day, in that day, in that day. Uh, Isaiah basically has two main messages in these chapters about that day. That day is going to be a shocking, uh, shockingly, a day of real, terrible, and just judgment. Uh, It's going to be a day of judgment. But alongside that, when you get to chapter 4, the tone changes completely. And Isaiah says that day, alongside that, that day is going to be a day of beauty and glory and peace and safety. Well, how those two things hold together is a key part of Isaiah. It's one of the great themes of this majestic book in the Bible. And it's ultimately revealed to us in Jesus Christ. But firstly, let's have a look at what Isaiah says about that day. There's a number of things that he pulls out uh, about that coming day. The first thing he says is that the Lord is going to humble human pride. The Lord is going to humble human pride. Verse 12. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. Skip down to verse 17. The arrogance of man will be brought low. And human pride humbled. Our pride, friends, our pride—this desire that's so deep within us to to elevate uh, ourselves—is so destructive. It can be really subtle. It show itself in all kinds of ways. It's toxic to our relationships. But what Isaiah focuses in on here is not the way—not so much the way our pride. Is self-destructive or destructive in our relationships with each other. Uh, he, he, he he focuses in this chapter on the way in which our pride is an offence to God, on that vertical relationship. In a way, in a way, pride is the sin beneath all of our other sin, uh, because pride is putting ourselves in God's place. It's self-worship, and what Isaiah says here is when that. Pride is placed next to the glory and majesty of God. It is utterly ridiculous. It would be kind of like, just imagine that um, you lived in a, just if you can imagine this, you lived in a cave your whole life with a group of other people. And all you had for light was little candles. Uh, And you had all these squabbles along the way about whose candle was the best and brightest. Uh, Then one day suddenly, suddenly you find your way out of the cave and you enter into a brilliant, brilliant, sunny cloudless day with the full sun beating down on you well no one is going to be impressed by anyone else's candle on that day no one and it's it's a little bit like that here right isaiah sees a day when all of our pride all of our human posturing all of our self promotion and arrogance is brought to nothing in the light of the fearful presence of the lord and the splendour of his majesty. So verse 17, Isaiah writes, Human pride will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. In that day, and Not only that though, but as you read on, uh, and there was a bit, little bit of this earlier on as well, but as you read on into verse 18, Isaiah starts to talk about idols, our idols. The idols will totally disappear in verse 18. Um, One way that pride showed itself in Israel, one way that pride showed itself, was that instead of finding their fulfillment in Yahweh, their God who loved and chose them, the one true God, they constantly turned to the idols of the nations around them. So idolatry is the whole uh, idea of worshipping and serving created things, rather than the Creator. Worshipping and serving created things rather than the Creator. And in Isaiah's day, uh, this was a literal thing, idols made of wood and stone. Uh, Today, that's still a reality, but it can look different for us, right? We have our own idols of money or sex or power or a whole range of different things. Created things that are good in and of themselves, but when we turn them into idols... When we put them in God's place, they they just become like fairy floss. You know, fairy floss Uh, looks good on the outside, might give you a bit of a buzz, but uh, it never it gives you a moment's enjoyment. But will never truly satisfy you, and will always leave you wanting more. That's like our idols. And what Isaiah sees here is that they have no future. Verse uh, twenty these things that people put so much of their importance on build their lives around, on that day, Isaiah says, people just chuck them away. They'll chuck them to the moles and the rats. or the bats, sorry, the moles and the bats. Uh, they'll be seen for what they are, the useless things they are, the worthless things they are. And so Isaiah finishes chapter 2 with this plea. In verse 22, stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? So friends, pride, arrogance, idolatry, trusting in created things rather than the creator, trusting in humans who have but a breath rather than in the Lord. Isaiah tells of a day when all of those things will be brought low, faced with the fearful Presence of the Lord and the splendor of His Majesty. Well, we didn't read out Chapter Three together here. Uh, I, I think our, many of our home groups have done that this week. But in Chapter Three, the camera focuses in on Judah and Jerusalem, uh, and it's a picture of real chaos. God is going to remove their stability. Uh, And there's this crisis of leadership. There's this almost comical scene in um, verse 6. It's almost sort of like this picture of some Monty Python scene or something where a man grabs his brother and he says, You have a cloak! You be our leader! Take charge of this heap of ruins! There's this absolute crisis of leadership. It's comical, but it's also deeply tragic. The leaders in Israel were corrupt, unqualified. They oppressed the people. And on that day, Isaiah says, they will be brought to account. Verse 14, the Lord enters into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor? So this corrupt leadership that leads to the oppression of the poor, Isaiah says, won't be swept under the carpet. God sees it cares about it and will bring it to account. So that's uh, the first part of chapter 3. But then the second half of chapter 3, the scene changes again. Uh, And it's this picture of the women in Zion who, in verse 16, are haughty and proud, uh, who go along with this tide of idolatry and arrogance. And God says they too will have their idols destroyed, the things that they've put their identity in, Verse 18, their finery and bangles and perfumes and rings, all of that God is going to snatch away on that day. Well, this day is pretty full on, right? (laughs) I wonder how you're feeling at this point. Uh, But there is one more vision of that day that Isaiah leads to and finishes with, that all of this whole section is leading up to. Uh, Just like last week, do you remember in that first chapter there are these brilliant rays of sunshine bursting through the dark storm clouds? Well, it's the same thing here in chapter 4. As you get there, uh, there's this utter, incredible reversal, a a scene of complete transformation. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 2. In that day... The branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Uh, Isaiah pictures this branch of the Lord. Uh, Now, uh, if you're familiar with how that image is used elsewhere in the Bible, maybe your ears are pricking up at this point. Um, Later on in chapter 11, Isaiah is going to use this image of a branch to talk about the Messiah, the coming God's promised King. At this point, though, it's probably uh, probably not talking directly about the Messiah, but it's it's probably more a, a general image. It's in contrast to the chaos of chapters two and three. There's this image of this beautiful branch, this uh, this place of life-giving peace, a fruitful branch to rest under. Uh, The day of ugliness and revulsion that Isaiah pictures in chapter 3 is replaced uh, by a day of stunning beauty and glory. Isaiah talks there about survivors, those left in Jerusalem. Uh, He's introducing a theme that he'll come back to, and we'll come back to this later on, uh, that what God is going to do will, will involve judgment, but there'll be a remnant after this judgment, a renewed people. Uh, and this people in verse 3 would be holy, washed, and cleansed in verse 4. And uh, towards the end, in verse 5 of chapter, um, of chapter 6, uh, where the, the day in chapter 2 and 3 is a day where God, remember, God abandoned his people? Well, this is an, a total reversal. The image here is of God's settled, um, abiding, eternal presence. Isaiah takes an image from Israel's past, uh, from the Exodus, when God protected and guided his people out of Egypt uh, in a cloud, or a cloud by day, day and, and fire by night. <laughs> and he uses this same image, this pillar of cloud and of fire. Uh, he uses this same image. But he says that this coming day is going to be a new, like a new Exodus, but it's going to be so much better and more more glorious and bigger than that first one. Uh, In the first Exodus, the the glory of God, this this glory of God that's sort of manifested itself in this cloud of uh, fire, this glory of God, uh, it settled over the tabernacle, was over the tabernacle. Uh, Here, did you notice this? The glory of God is over everything. Like this beautiful big canopy, this branch that spreads over everything. Uh, God is going to be present with his people in a new and powerful way. And his presence would be a shelter and a shade and a refuge and a hiding place. And I wonder, friends, I wonder how you feel after all of that, uh, this, this view of that day. Uh, perhaps you feel uncomfortable. Or I certainly do. Uh, maybe you even feel a bit offended hearing this vision of the judgment of God of the day of the Lord when he rises to shake the earth. Uh, Perhaps you feel a a sense, on the other hand, a sense of longing for this beautiful vision in chapter 4, this vision of glory and beauty and security. Maybe you feel a bit disoriented just trying to hold those two things together. What's going on there? Well, friends, I want to show you how the gospel of Jesus makes all the difference for us. Uh, as we come to terms with this vision of judgment and glory here in Isaiah. see As you read on in Isaiah, and as you read the other prophets as well in the Old Testament, this day of the Lord would sweep up not just Israel, but all the nations. The whole world would be judged by God for its proud rebellion against him. Um, this day that Isaiah looked forward to, it, it came in an, in an incomplete way. In Israel's history, uh, not long after Israel, as Isaiah proclaimed this, Israel were judged. They were sent into exile. And there was a remnant who returned to Jerusalem, survivors in Israel, but it was, all, it was only a partial fulfillment. It, it never got close to the, the glory of what you see in chapter 4 of Isaiah. It was a shadow of the reality that was to come and the, that came in Jesus. You see, friends, the incredible claim of the gospel of Jesus is that that great and ultimate day of the Lord, the day when God would come and act in judgment and glory, the stunning claim of the gospel is that that day has actually already come in Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't minimize or shrug off at all this vision of the judgment of God. Sometimes uh, we can talk about things like that, can't we? Sort of uh, this distinction between the God of the Old Testament who is all about wrath and judgment and Jesus who is all about mercy and kindness. Uh, Jesus talks more about judgment and hell than anyone else in the Bible, actually. Uh, He doesn't minimize God's righteous wrath on humanity's sin and pride and idolatry. No, friends, Jesus brings such good news Not because he tells us to forget about that day at all. Not because he tells us to minimise that day. Jesus brings such good news because what he says is, I have come to take that day on myself at the cross. That's why I came. I'm facing that day here for you so that you don't have to. But the stunning news of the gospel is that in Jesus that day has is already here but in Jesus that day is also still coming uh, it's a little bit like uh, this, it's a concertina uh, you know one of these, these squeeze boxes uh, Isaiah looks at it from this angle uh, you can see the next. if you go to the next picture, uh, Isaiah is sort of looking at it from one end and he, he sees it as one sort of shape. <laughs> uh, he says there's one day. but when Jesus comes he, he splits this into two he, he, so it looks more like this <laughs> rather than one it it's stretched out. Um, he has dragged that last day of judgment and glory into right into the middle of history. but of course human pride continues, doesn't it? our idolatry continues, corrupt leadership continues. And while the day of the Lord has come in Jesus, it is still coming in its full and final sense. God will fully and finally establish his righteous reign over all creation. All sin and evil and even death itself will be finally judged and brought to nothing. So all of that, friends, means that today... It's a day of great hope. It's a day of great hope, but it's also a day of real urgency as we live in between these first and second comings of Jesus, these days of the Lord. See, that day is still coming. But friends, today God makes you his great offer in the gospel won't be there forever so don't ignore it if you haven't received it already face that day not as one who will be swept up in his righteous judgment but as one who will be covered by the blood of Jesus humble yourself now because your pride will be brought low on that day get rid of your idols now as they will not shelter you on that day but there is one who will shelter you who loves you and whose nail pierced hands are open to you your idols won't satisfy you but he will every anguished cry of your heart will be healed every longing fulfilled every joy complete on that day under this glorious branch of the Lord. Well, friends, perhaps though, for you, perhaps you've already entered under this branch of the Lord through Jesus. And I just want to leave you with this. I want to encourage you to live with what one preacher, a preacher called Mike Rater, calls Judgment Day integrity. Judgment Day integrity. I heard Mike speak on this. A long time ago, I was at uni, uh, and this idea of living in the light of that day, uh, it made a huge impact on me, and it was really significant for my own decisions, um, thinking about uh, becoming a proclaimer of this good news. But I feel like, for me, it's waned <laughs> as things have gone on, and I wonder if it has for you too, if you have been a Christian for a little while. I wonder if it has for you as well. If you knew COVID was coming this year, it would change how you acted, right? If you you lived on KI in January and you knew the bushfires were on their way, that would shape how you lived, right? It would change what you did. It would shape the way you lived your life. And if you really believed that the day of the Lord has come and is coming, well, how would it change you? How would it change you? I just wanted to suggest very very briefly three things, two that come out of this passage, and one is an implication of the gospel. Wouldn't it firstly, wouldn't it make you more humble than you are? Wouldn't it make you more humble? Um, chapter two is all about that. Our pride will be brought low, and in a strange kind of way, believing in the judgment of God in the Gospel. I think is actually the great antidote to the proud judgmentalism that plagues our culture and that is even seen sometimes in Christian communities. Wouldn't it make you more humble, less focused on yourself, uh, less easy to take offence? Wouldn't it make you more humble if you knew that without exception you, along with every other person, We'll be brought low before the Lord's majesty. And if you knew that without exception, all of us are freely offered refuge in Christ, not because of any good thing in us, but purely because of his grace, wouldn't it humble you? Uh, On the other hand, wouldn't judgment day integrity fill you with a deep and abiding joy and contentment? Wouldn't it do that? a more abiding contentment, whatever your circumstances, because you know that the beautiful, glorious, pure, eternally satisfying branch of the Lord is coming and you will be there through Jesus. Humility, joy, but at the same time, friends, wouldn't living with Judgment Day integrity make you far more bold and urgent in sharing this good news, in doing whatever you can to promote this gospel in, in any way that is possible. Uh, sharing in humility and joy that the, the great news, the great news that God so loved the world. Uh, that in order to satisfy both his perfect justice and his wonderful mercy, he gave his one and only Son. Uh, that whoever believes in him will not perish on that day, but will have eternal life. We, we pray uh, that God will do that among us. Can, can I pray for us? Oh God, we pray that you might help us to live in the light of that day. We thank you that that day has broken in to the present in Jesus, that he has borne the judgment that we deserve. We thank you that that means today is a day of great hope, uh, a day of great urgency in the light of the gospel. Please make us more humble. Please make us more at peace and joyful in the light of your grace. Uh, Please make us more bold in sharing the gospel we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name.